welcome to Pony Mana'o, a podcast of the Purple Prize Hawaii's Indigenous Innovation Competition. I'm your host, Kalei Akau. As the sun rises in the east, the sky transforms from dark shades of blue and purple to bright pink and orange when finally the first rays of sun emerge on the horizon. Pony is the purple color painted across the sky right before the sun rises, and Mana'o means to offer our thoughts, ideas, and intentions. We are at the dawn of a new day where our indigenous perspectives, practices, and cultures will shape our future. In ecologically balanced societies, culturally embedded technologies enhance and serve sustainable living systems that provide health and well-being for Aina and people. Pony Mana'o celebrates and shares the stories, experiences, and knowledge of Indigenous innovators and thought leaders at the forefront of culture, technology, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. Today we have with us Miwa Tamanaha. She is on the executive team at Kua Aina Ulu Awamo. Kua is an innovative community-based initiative for protecting, restoring, and caring for Hawaii. Also joined with us today are Mia's two Keiki. Can you guys introduce yourselves? Uh, my name is Noah. I uh, love cats. What else do you love to do? Relax and be lazy. Relax and be lazy. Me too. <laughs> uh, um, I'm Nikili. How old are you? Ten. And what do you like to do for fun? Anything. Anything? Yes, anything. That's You've a good answer. Work? Anything but meetings. But meetings, <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, no, no chores. No chores. No, 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 no. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, oh, thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah, well, can you start off by telling us a little bit about where you call home? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think I'm a person that has a number of homes. Um, today I live in Waipio um, on this island on Oahu with my family. Um, I also, I grew up in Los Angeles, actually. So I consider Los Angeles my home. And then my ancestors are all from Okinawa. Um, although I have one grandfather from Iwakuni, Japan, and the rest of my uh, great-grandparents are all from um, Okinawa. So awesome. even though it's actually not a place I have even been, I consider Okinawa home, too. And can you tell us a little bit about what led you to Kua, more of your background and kind of the journey that you have been on so far? Um, well, so actually when I went to college, I thought I was going to major in journalism. Oh. Um, and I really was, I don't know, just enamored with the power of being able to tell stories and the power of stories to, to really change the world. Um, I ended up with a mentor who was like, oh, you know, people who want to be journalists don't major in journalism. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he encouraged me to major in economics. And so I did. And I I just kind of, it was something that really spoke to me. Um, This idea of not so much about money, but about value and how we look at value and how we can look together at what we value and why. Um, And then from there, kind of got into environmental economics, uh, looking at non-market approaches to valuing uh, the things that we care about in the environment. Um, And from that lens, worked uh, in environmental policy in Los Angeles for about 10 years. And then came to Hawaii, I think, really looking to 
Oh, you know, I think with economics, there's a lot of, we spend a lot of time trying to place value on things that are intangible. And then I think there was a part of me that came back to like, just because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, I think, you know, to, to kind of just come in more fully to what we know intuitively inside us about what matters. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the opportunity to um, lead the organization Kahea, uh, which is an environmental advocacy that works specifically on um, traditional and customary rights. And, um, and then from there, had the opportunity to um, work at KUA, or really developing what, what KUA is today. Great. Well, can you tell us a little bit more about KUA and what kind of is the origin story behind that? So KUA really has existed in different forms um, since 2003 as a network of folks that are caring for place. Um, And I think really kind of even further back came out of a lot of the Hawaiian Renaissance movements of folks. Um, Just seeing the power of networking as practitioners. I I would say that um, Huikalo and Onipa'ana Huikalo are is like one of the earliest examples. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a network called Ealupu, and they began in 2003 and were able to gather um, in different forms opportunistically every year um, with a lot of, you know, with fundraising help and facilitation help from a woman named Debbie Gowen Smith. Um, in 2012 or 2011, actually, they kind of I think they kind of came to a place where they decided that they wanted a nonprofit to really carry that work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Kevin, my partner Kevin Chang, and I were brought on to to really to build that nonprofit, and that what that is what became Kua today. Um, so today, Kua facilitates three different networks. So Ealupu is the oldest network. Um, that focuses on mostly community-based organizations, but also families um, and others who are doing Aina-based stewardship work, whether it's Moka or Makai. Um, we also have a network of Loea Limu, so folks that are really just masters of Limu practice, native seaweeds, um, including caring for their limu grounds and then also using limu in food, in medicine, um, and in ceremony. Uh, and then a third network called the Hui Malamalukui'a, which is a um, network of fish pond folks. And similarly, they've been gathering since 2004 um, opportunistically, and I think having the nonprofit has allowed them to kind of have a a foundation to be able to to meet more regularly and and push forward. That's really great. So it sounds like a lot of the network and community that has already been built was before the actual creation of Kua as a nonprofit, but it kind of grew out of these grassroots movements that date all the way back to the the seventies. That's really awesome. Yeah, and I I think we try to remember that we exist because we were called to exist, um, and that. The folks that we bring together are the are the like they are the heart of of the work. They are the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really great way of putting it. 
Um, so can you talk a little bit more about the kind of resources or tools that you help um, you bring to communities or you can help strengthen those partnerships? Like what are some specific things that are really essential to networking build network building? I think the central tenet of Kua's work is really phys- physically gathering together. Mm-hmm. Um, so the relationships that... Um, people build our our strong tie relationships, their face-to-face relationships. So we'll spend anywhere from two to four days camping together, which means, you know, we pitch tents, we're sleeping in, we know who snores. (laughs) (laughs) We wash dishes together, we cook together. Um, And so there's that Those kinds of small actions of doing together that I think um, build the foundation for us to be able to do bigger things together um, when we really can know one another and be together in that way. Um, And then there's also, within that space, we'll do work projects together. So there are, you know, things that when we have a large number of really experienced folks doing something like, say, wall building, um, that we can get done some pretty difficult projects that otherwise might take even a couple years, like in a few days. Wow. Um, And then also, I think, as part of that, just being able to to share knowledge in a really natural, um, in a way that just feels really natural and right, you know, to to be with other people. to learn from one another, which is really different than um, other kinds of of documentation Mm -hmm. or learning, which are also important. Um, This is just a different space for that. Yeah, it's not like going to like a a big convention and sitting in like a, listening to a panel or something. Yes. Yeah, very cool. And can you maybe share with our listeners like a, a really an example of a relationship that Kua has helped to forge or connect and kind of what's, um, I don't know, something that you guys are really proud of being a part of? Yeah, I think there's a number of examples. One, one that jumps probably most immediately to mind is the community-based subsistence fishing area movement. Um, it's such a, a mouthful <laughs> a of, of an, <laughs> uh, uh, as an acronym, um, but really it's, it has been about bringing together folks that are caring for nearshore fishery areas um, and looking at, I think it's a shift in mindset about we often are, especially I think my generation, you know, raised to to wait for somebody to do something, Mm -hmm. (laughs) particularly government. Mm. Um, When really government is us, right? Mm -hmm. And finding agency within our own families and communities to to care for the things around us. And so it's really folks, um, a mix of folks who have a really strong Um, connection and tie to generational tie to their place and also folks who I think start out of a place of curiosity right like oh like I I don't know I always fished at this place I never knew what its name was now I know the name what does that mean Mm -hmm. and what does that mean to how we should be taking care of it or Mm -hmm. oh now this you know doesn't have as much limu as it used to have why is that 
um, and then wanting to do something about it. So community-based subsistence fishing areas is one legal tool um, for communities to propose uh, management measures for, um, for protecting fisheries or protecting the abundance of fisheries, really, and, and fishing, traditional fishing. That's great. Um, thank you so much for sharing. And I guess with, um, you know, being an active part of bringing these different communities together to form networks to create management practices and things like that, how do you uh, talk about and deal with accountability and making sure all of your community partners are accountable to you and to each other? I think we often, I mean, this is part of gathering face-to-face, but we often start from a place of values. So... It's a pretty natural thing. You get people together who care about the same thing. Those values come forward pretty naturally. So, for example, with the CBSFAs, it's like um, it's it's starting with that private problem of like, hey, this this place, you know, maybe there's a proposed development um, that's going to change the hydrology, and then and you're worried about that, mm-hmm. or um, like a septic system's going to come in that would affect the water quality at your fish pond. And then when people get together, you start seeing those those individual problems as a larger collective issue, right? And then from there, begin to be able to, like, um, think from Parker Palmer called uh, the logic of movement. So taking a private problem and making it a public problem and then being able to you know, actually change the public context um, Mm -hmm. so that there's a new normal. Yeah. Oh, that's a really great way of thinking about it, too. I mean, as you were pointing out earlier, like, we basically are the government. We we elect people who are supposed to represent us. It's just this interface with the system that is oftentimes slow. So are there specific obstacles or roadblocks that – or the communities that you work with have faced and does it have to do with how slow the government is or in your experience have uh, you guys been able to do things without even having to interface with that public sector I think it's a both and and I feel like that's really important to momentum um, or like and kind of maintaining a sense of agency Mm -hmm. so government things happen on government time and that can be really frustrating Um, in a lot of cases the even just the structure for public input isn't very encouraging it means taking time off work and Mm -hmm. standing around all day waiting to be able to testify Mm -hmm. um, whether it's on an administrative rule or at the legislature and for neighbor island folks that means not only taking off work but flying to Oahu Mm -hmm. Um, and then there are cases in which you can have overwhelming public support for something and it's still you know people vote Mm -hmm. the opposite interest and Mm -hmm. so it requires a kind of a large number of people to pay attention Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah um and that's hard, right? Because we've, we've all got other stuff going on too. And so I think the more we can share that burden, right? The more people that are paying attention, the more we each 
kind of wake up to what's happening around us, uh, the less burdensome and the faster change happens. At the same time, I think just the 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 act of rest, you know restoring a fish pond or even even personal acts of agency, learning to observe observe moon cycles, right? Like just really paying attention to what's happening around you. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all forms of agency, mm-hmm. and we, I think, when we're when we're feeling stuck in one area, we can look to another area. But we have to, um, you know, really continue to be about the whole picture, right? Yeah. And we can't just retreat into one one or the other. We're working on our on our places, our communities, our families, mm-hmm. our governance, right, mm-hmm. all at the same time. Yeah. They're all interconnected. It is, it definitely is. And when you look at it like that, sometimes it seems like it's impossible to move the needle like one degree to, into the, the right direction. But I think at the heart of it is like, you know, building those connections or those relationships with others to help you do it together. So I think that's really great and really inspirational to hear the work that Kua has already have been doing for the last few decades. So that's great. Um, I would say too that um, as as much as there's a lot of, of really difficult stories, right? Or when we talk about feeling frustration with governance, um, you know, one of the other things that comes out of gathering and networking and people getting together is, is joy, right? There's a lot of joy in relation in relationship. And I think that is another thing that kind of keeps momentum and balances like the the times that we feel defeated or hurt, mm-hmm. oppressed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's really important to remember when you're in the thick of it. And sometimes a lot of or a lot of times that only happens when you become face to face with the people that are all working together towards this collective thing. So it's it's really nice to remind ourselves that we always need to be meeting in person and always need to be connecting face to face to to get these kinds of things done. For a lot of us and a lot of times we think of partnering with, you know, minority communities or things like that is uh, having patronizing undertones and all of that kind of thing and um, having this whole white savior complex that if you go back in history there's so many examples manifest destiny the great mahele you know um, making speaking um, native like olala hawaii and other native indigenous languages in the continent illegal so how can we stray away from that whole notion of empowerment being another guise for savior? What what has, in your experience, um, been a good approach to promoting equity in building networks? Mm. I apologize that I can't remember where this framework comes from, but one that really speaks to me is this idea of power with. Um, there's sort of, as, as different and distinct from power for, power to or um, power over Mm. and this um, there's this woman Nikki Silvestri who's done a lot of writing and work on allyship Um, and she talks a lot about you know doing the self-work to be with like being with is not always easy Um, and it means that there's this pause in 
we're not always rushing to fix things. Mm. Sometimes we have to to sit and be with. Um, I guess one example that comes forward for me is um, when we, there was a request um, to try to s- start networking some of the Mimu folks, mm-hmm. the, some of the, especially some of the elder aunties and uncles that were, um, had a, like hold a lot of Mimu knowledge. And that first gathering, I think I really thought that we would, you know, get some ideas on paper about, okay, like what's, what are the issues? Like, what can we do together? Mm-hmm. And it really, I think, turned out to be a lot more about like people being able to be with each other in sadness, mm. right? So that that there's been a lot of loss and things that people have been used to being able to gather, like to go down to the beach and and find Monawea, find Ogo, and. Um, no more anymore mm-hmm. and that's heavy and allowing ourselves to be in sadness like to be with mm-hmm. before we and but not stop there mm-hmm. right so we don't want to be stuck in sadness but that we can take that time to to feel that together to be with one another mm. and then um and then start talking, you know, when we when we get to a place of like, okay, so what do we want to do together? What does that mean? Wow, that's really powerful. I mean, I think a lot of times where that, um, it's not like a, it's just that negative feeling that people have when someone else comes into their community or in their lives and tries to tell them how to make their lives better. It's because they haven't been with or they haven't experienced that loss or that that sadness together. And that's something that is so simple, but we never think about it when we're we're the ones that are trying to make something better and trying to solve a problem, but we just jump to the conclusion instead of, you know, starting at the very beginning. So I think that's something that's really powerful. So thank you so much for sharing that. I guess I want to uh, dig a little bit deeper into what allyship means to you. I know you t- talked a, a little bit about it, but what is your approach to being an ally or how, yeah, how can we be an ally to other people when we don't necessarily come from that community or come from that background? <laughs> I would say that I have a developmental approach to allyship. I mean, I think that... I try to wake up every day and be a little bit better. I've certainly been, um, I think it's embracing that you'll feel awkward sometimes mm-hmm. and you won't always know that you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that if you can sit with that with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also like find your own community of people to to like support you in that mm-hmm. um, it's you know it, it's not showing up entitled or expecting things from other people but knowing that you're gonna have to do that work yourself mm-hmm. um, about 
being okay about all the things that you don't know, mm-hmm. the ways that you don't feel comfortable, um, the ways you feel super awkward mm-hmm. <laughs> in whatever moment. Um, I read something about how usually awkwardness only lasts like, like I forget, it was some, some small thing like 18 seconds. Really? <laughs> and like if you can really sit with it for those 18 <laughs> seconds or whatever, like it'll, like you'll get to like a more calm place. Um, so I find myself telling myself that's that. a really good <laughs> reminder. Maybe 18 seconds and mm-hmm. gonna feel gonna feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not always gonna be the cool kid in the room, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good, important way to put put it. And I did not realize that awkwardness can only sit for that little. I think maybe we trick our minds into thinking that. You, everything is going to be awkward when you're not totally in your in your place in your community in your comfort zone so but that's the only way you grow is by being, putting yourself in those vulnerable positions and not always being the most knowledgeable person in the room yeah. I think the other thing for me about allyship is recognizing that how much reciprocity there is in it um, that I think I started from a place of feeling um, I think this is I, I definitely know I'm not alone in this, but as somebody of like Okinawan Japanese heritage in Hawaii, um, where there's a time and place where like that has become like a dominant political class, mm-hmm. um, and what that has meant, particularly for Hawaiians, but for other people in in Hawaii as well, um, like a sort of of guilt, a feeling of guilt or of shame, um, of like, you know, raised by people who were doing their best in a very assimilist mm-hmm. context. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there, for me at least, I feel like there is an obligation, um, like I've benefited in certain ways from a plantation system, mm-hmm. a product of plantation mm-hmm. ag- agriculture. So what am I gonna, what am I gonna do with that? Mm-hmm. And what do I wanna give back s- in reciprocity? But also that I've like received so much more than like I ever, ever could have imagined or envisioned. Um, like learn to just, learn to pay attention to myself and to others in totally new ways. Um, and then also just found threads of connection back to like my own ancestors. So there's this, I think in allyship, this gift of decolonization, of personal decolonization that happens over time um, that's incredibly powerful and freeing. Yeah, I can totally relate to like everything you say. I mean, similar, I have very similar identity to you as someone with Japanese descent and my ancestors would not have come here if it wasn't for the plantation system. And I know, um, at least with the Purple Prize, we started off with trying to understand our own identities, all the participants and kind of going from there. But even within that, there's so much labor that has to be done um, to decolonize your own self and those words seem like very buzzwords like how do I even conceptualize this but I think you have put it into such simple and poignant 
like steps is sitting with our sadness sitting with other people and their sadness and trying to to understand that on a very personal level and I think that is definitely the building blocks of you know building up so thank you so much again for sharing that part yeah well and it's exciting too I think that one of the things that we get to do in cool when we talk about gathering we really are talking about decolonizing space right gathering spaces um and i think purple maya does the same thing hello there's like all these really beautiful spaces that i think are emerging in different areas that create that space for us to do that work i'm also interested more in learning about the process of how you build back up beyond just building these networks are there other things that kua is involved in and i know if we want to shift towards this more regenerative indigenous innovation focused system it requires an entire system change and that's more than just building up these strong pockets of networks so are there other things that kua has been putting forward um, to build up these kinds of efforts yeah absolutely i think um the networks themselves are a form of kipuka, right? Mm-hmm. So kipuka are um, that spot in when the lava flows down that is untouched by the lava. And it's from that that untouched space that, that the rest of the landscape begins to regrow. Mm-hmm. And it's not a kipuka if it just stays, mm-hmm. right? It has to, to, to grow out. Um, so I think... There are a number of, of, of spaces and ways that um, the networks are pushing out. So one example, um, we've been working with Sea uh, Grant and others on, um, it's called Kulana Noi, which is just looking at how researchers and communities can, can work together better. What are the, st- the standards for how we're going to um, treat each other? and work together, uh, what are our expectations and what are and how do we live out our hopes for mm-hmm. that? Um, I think another example is just seeing young folks come in through the networks and grow, actually grow up in the networks and become, um, begin to work in government, um, finish law school, <laughs> you know, that really government shouldn't be, and it isn't, it's not an other. Like, the people in government are our friends and our neighbors and our families, mm-hmm. right? And um, and we often talk about government as if that's not true. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I, I do see that in the work that you guys are trying to rebuild, we're trying to rebuild from this place that has been very black and white, like, what the government represents this dominant western thing and the other represents the communities that we are trying to connect and a lot of it has to be sitting with all of those sadnesses as you talked about but also bringing the two together and realizing those differences are i don't know you're just gonna work better together i think is like the big lesson that i've been taking away from this conversation at least um i guess since we're on the topic of you know whole systems change and being able to be an ally um, 
and what that really means. At the Purple Prize, our participants right about now are finishing up the connections phase and are going to be pitching these ideas to build these technologies that are supposed to be impacting certain communities. And a lot of times, as we talked about, you know, there's not necessarily like you can come in with the right intentions, but it might not necessarily be played out in the right way with the community that you're wanting to help, even though you might not be part of that. So do you have any words of advice or mana'o to share to the Purple Prize participants how to best build relationships with communities? Bring food. <laughs> have fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, no, don't say that. Let's no, see. that's actually really important, <laughs> though. <laughs> because everything, I mean, when you eat together, that's when you really share. You, you exchange. I, I forgot about that um, until relearning what Oli Mahalo says at the mm. end is we share, thank you for exchanging, we share food together. So that's really, I think that's really cool. And that is the first thing that popped out of your mind. So that is really important. <laughs> well, okay, maybe this is, um, when we were working, um, one of the workshops in which we were working on the Kulana Nui with the, this researcher, um, standards and we were talking about moments where people really felt good about their research partnerships and I remember this this example that came up multiple times of this one researcher who every time he came um, to this fish pond brought cookies oh. <laughs> I really stuck out to people mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know I don't think we can fake caring for one another and and when when that's authentic um, to you, I think that, you know, relationships can't help but happen. Mm -hmm. And it, sh it shows when you have your right intentions or you have the right mindset. So, yeah, that, that is a really good thing to remember as we kind of move into this next um, building phase of the Purple Prize. So, um, yeah. Cookies. cookies. The secret is cookies. <laughs> Any sweets and treats. That's a really great idea. Um, I guess if we want to continue our self-learning about allyship and how to be more mindful of living an equitable life in, in ourselves and in the organizations that we are a part of, um, what are some resources that you recommend our listeners check out? or that have helped you? Um, I think I mentioned it before, but Nikki Silvestri has this amazing um, TEDx talk uh, on allyship. I take a lot from that. I had the benefit of, of having the opportunity to be part of a community, Hawaii Community Foundation initiative on networks um, and network leadership. And there was a book by Peter Plastrick uh, I think it was like networks to change the world. That's a good one. <laughs> um, also, just finished reading. Um, is it Kamanala Hui? Oh, whatever. Um, it was. Okay. It's a book uh, from Kamana Opono and Keloha Fox. I think you should just put these. I'm. I'm gonna I'm put like the links down below. These, yeah, citing these sources very well. Kiri, <laughs> 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 you've been to Kua gatherings. What do you think? Yeah, what's special about going to the Lo'i? The mud! The mud. That is the best part. <laughs> My favorite job is when you have to stomp on all the mud yeah. again so it regenerates. I mean, the mud. Muddy, muddy mud. 
What about you? Especially Mine. when I go to the halal. Mine. Especially when I go to halal. Me too. Oh, when you, you mean when you get to go to the Lo'i with your hula sisters? Yeah. So what would it be like if the Lo'i weren't there for you? Half bad. Like 75, like 80% bad, 10% good. Not the word. And like 10%, 10 you wouldn't what? have to go weed? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 10% yeah. you don't have to do the work. <laughs> 10% I don't have to do the work. Like 90, but you know, there would be I something else that you would have one, to do work. One, one and then 90% I don't have the opportunity to do the work. Yeah. But 10% yeah, I don't have to do the work. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing. And thank you so much, Miwa, for sharing your really inspirational and powerful manao. Thanks, Thank you for tuning in and being interested in Indigenous innovation. I'm your host, Kule Akau, and this is Pony Mana'o, the official podcast of the Purple Prize. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Pony Mana'o on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. We hope to see you next time. Bye.